Hello and welcome to the Simply podcast. I'm Patrick, Head of Content at Simply. And I'm Aish, Content Executive. Pat, who have we got today? Today we've got one of our members from the Simply community. We've got Jo Hobbs, who is Global Head of Internal Communication at Ocado Group. And she's also one of our judges at the Simplys, taking place at the Gherkin at the end of November on the 24th. We're going to talk about what to do, how to submit a great um, a great entry for the Simplys, as well as some of her work at Ocado and how they've managed to have um, a really agile leadership team, despite the fact it's growing uh, and getting globally bigger year on year. So welcome to the Simply Podcast, Joe. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm Joe Hobbs. I'm Global Head of Internal Communications here at Ocado Group. I've been part of this organisation for the last eight years. And before that, I had 20, 25 years working in PR, media relations, crisis management in public service. But I actually started out as a journalist um, working in newspapers and radio. So sort of fairly early on in my career, I did that sort of poacher turn gamekeeper move, I suppose, and jumped over the fence into the world of representing organisations as opposed to challenging those organisations. And I've made the final switch into internal communications just in the last yeah, eight to ten years of my career. And uh, we've had this conversation before, Joe, but it's kind of mirrors me. Well, I've not been, uh, you know, uh, not as much experience, but I've gone from journalist to you know, public relations. So I, I suppose the next big sweep for me is to go straight into IC. Um, but um, but yeah, why did you make that move? Um, obviously, I've got experience in, in two of them. I can guess some of the stresses and strains of being a journalist and working in public relations. But but what was the reason for you to move to move into uh, looking after your people and the employee experience? I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Like I, I wanted to be a journalist from a really young age and I always felt very lucky that I kind of knew what I wanted to do when I was 13, 14 or, you know, beyond. And, you know, I was delighted to be able to start my career in local newspapers and I moved up um, sort of into the nationals and then switched into radio. And, you know, we're all naturally nosy, right? Otherwise we wouldn't do what we do. Um, and I, you know, was definitely that hungry young person who kind of felt like there was a conspiracy theory behind behind most things, and I wanted to get to the bottom of it. And uh, I'm giving away my age, but this was before internet really took off. It was in the days when you went out and you sourced your stories, you relied very much on your contacts, and it you were not sitting behind a desk and in fact my editor always used to say to me i don't want to see you until tea time because uh you should be out there getting your stories um but then actually the world began to change it became a lot more um you know the, the internet grew and sourcing stories became much more of an online activity and I suppose developing as a journalist, I really got to know and understand and appreciate the work that some of these big organisations were beginning to do around reputation management, about actually bringing a sense of transparency to their communications, opening up and, you know, whereas the, the good old bad old days, it felt like no comment was a, the automatic response. I could see that they were starting to want to tell a story about their organisation, certainly from an external perspective and that really appealed to me um and when i worked in 
as a journalist, I had a real interest in crime. Certainly um, that sense of, you know, seeing right done by people to a certain degree. And uh, there was an opportunity came up to go and work in the press office of the um, a local police service. And having spent a lot of time working with the single person that ran that press office, I could see that he was expanding his his remit. It felt like a great opportunity to jump into that space. And I actually then had 20 years working in the police service, corporate communications, which through that time, two decades, which I look back and can't believe how quickly that went, but it absolutely revolutionised how particularly public-facing organisations talk talk to their communities, how they talk to the media, how much more transparent that world became. Um, and it was a thrilling, thrilling place to be. And actually one of my, um, I suppose, proudest um, achievements while leading ultimately the communications, corporate communication service for my force was that we developed with Channel 4 the 24 Hours in Police Custody series, which to me was the ultimate inside workings of how the police operate. Um, and we went on to be BAFTA nominated for that. Um, and that series is still running now, 10 years on. So for me, the appeal was how do we make people really understand an organisation that previously might have been shrouded in some sort of secrecy? You know, how do we make those organisations feel real and human to the outside world and to journalists so that they learn to trust us and that what we say is genuinely the truth? Um, and while in that role, the internal communications thinking also really developed and this idea of viewing our people as ambassadors of our business, whatever that business is, and how looking after them is got to be at the heart of any strategic thinking of a successful business or public service, just became more and more interesting um, and got a lot more focus, I suppose, from leadership in recognising the value of it. And, and so for me to make that switch again to a commercial business like Ocado Group, which in itself has been on a journey, um, was another really interesting step for me. And, and then being able to focus just on our people with those external factors secondary to my role, albeit we work very closely with our externally facing comms colleagues, just was a great natural progression for me. And I like the juxtaposition of moving from a public facing organisation into a commercial organisation and the different challenges that that throws up. Yeah, that that that's uh, yeah, that, I can see the the how the journey um, yeah has has gone around there. Just a quick one, just because everyone gets really confused. Acardo Group, Acardo. Can you just explain uh, the the distinction for us? Absolutely. Short short history of Acardo. So twenty one years ago, we 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 set up. Uh, we were a small startup that created the first first in the world online delivery grocery business for UK and that carried on until 2019 where we signed an agreement a joint venture with Marks and Spencers who bought 50% of our Ocado retail business from us and 
we moved into a Cardo group at that point where we operate now as a global tech and solutions provider with 50% of our, our business ownership sitting in retail, but 100% driving our Ocado tech and solutions business, where we now sell our IP, our tech solutions fulfillment kit around the world to other grocers who are now jumping into the online grocery retail space. We currently have employees in 12 countries around the world, and we have sold our IP to uh, 10 grocers around the world across Asia, Japan, Europe, and North America. So my world is very much focused now on our tech solutions business, and Ocado Retail is run fairly independently, albeit sits as 50% of our, our accounting setup. Yeah, and when, when we had a last chat, sorry, I've hijacked this. Um, when, <laughs> we, when we last had a chat, Joe, just under a year ago, probably one of the one of the things that you were interested to know about from the community was how to um, how to connect and engage with the global workforce with disparate language with disparate time zones, languages. So, for instance, Japan obviously culturally is is quite different and very monolingual. Um, so, have you been putting anything in place the last few months to try and uh, to help everyone on a global scale um, get engaged? at Cardo Group? Yeah, so we've been trying a number of things and at the moment our numbers in the sort of Asia Pacific part of our business are still relatively small and frankly we're very lucky because we're mostly hiring English speaking people at a more senior level who are quite comfortable with using English as our business language. But we know as we grow that that will change and we'll be hiring um, sort of engineering population who will need to be communicated with in Japan. But one of the things we have been doing, which has been successful just around our sort of live stream program or town hall program, has been to specifically target each country um, and almost bring our global business news to them, either with sort of simultaneous live translation services um, so that we can really have a conversation, albeit with small populations, but put, taking our senior leaders to them in their language to really help them feel connected to this much bigger business that has been established for a lot longer than we have in that particular country. And we're running those on a sort of a monthly basis around all of our uh, non-UK sites. Um, and that's been popular, but the, the overriding objective being how do we make those countries feel part of something much bigger than, than feeling like they might be out on a limb because they're, they're new to us and recognise that we are, we are new to that country and may not be completely up to speed with you know, how, how things work culturally or from a language perspective. So very much our role continues to be joining the dots um, and helping people feel connected um, and making that global reach feel much smaller. Oh, thanks, Jay. Oh. And um, can you just tell us a little bit about maybe some exciting projects you've been part of at Ocado? Um, yeah, anything like that? So I have to say, working at Ocado is, is a, always a roller coaster. If roller coaster equals exciting, then <laughs> there's probably a lot. 
but actually one of the big things we're doing at the moment is going through uh, we're evolving again let's say how we are set up for success and that's been a big internal communications exercise that we're still in the middle of um, because of the way we've grown we're quite an organic company and we take twists and turns as part of our everyday growth I think but what we're recognizing now is because we have grown at pace we're starting to recognize how we have um, sort of internal a diverse set of internal cultures that we need to recognize and and understand because we have such diversity in in terms of roles on one hand I've got a very UK centered logistics warehouse-based population, that deskless workforce that a lot of us, you know, face the challenge of connecting and communicating with. And then on the other hand, I've got a very tech savvy software developer community who are absolutely attached to their laptop day in, day out and understand technology and how best to use it, how to collaborate and work together as second nature. And what we've learned is that there isn't one size fits all, which of course we, we all recognize. And actually actively recognizing the differences, we're starting to split out how we view almost these internal businesses as some separate entities so that we can begin to really develop what's the employee experience story for one group of people versus how does that look and feel for another group of people. And we understand that actually in the war for talent or our desire to attract the best people to work in our business, those two stories look quite different depending on where you sit in the business. So always that challenge of how do we represent ourselves externally and how does that present itself internally? Do you feel what we, you know, once you arrive here, do you feel the way we want you to feel when we try and attract you to our business? Um, is really going through a bit of a revolution for us. Um, and as I said, I feel like IC is at the heart of how we tell those stories and how we make people feel, you know, when they come here, do they feel like they've landed in the business they thought they were going to arrive in? So by separating out almost these business area personas, we're really starting to get into the nitty gritty of that. Um, and that's really exciting. It's, it's quite challenging as well, because sometimes, you know, there's, a degree of letting go by some people of what we've always done and trying something new. So, you know, there's definitely, what do we call it, a lot of stakeholder engagement going on, I think. But actually, it's just trying to talk to people and find out how they think and feel and and how can we just make it feel right for people. Yeah. And um, so obviously you keep growing and you mentioned a lot of stakeholders. They keep obviously when you started at Ocado, it was a much smaller company. Do you still have that agile, autonomous uh, culture that we spoke about before? Do you still feel that's there? Absolutely. And I think that's been at the core of our business right from the start. You know, our, our founder and CEO, Tim Steiner, you know, started our business with a handful of people. Um, and as we grow, we've really fought and resisted that temptation to become a really process orientated big business that that has to slow down as a result or perception that it might have to slow down as a result and we're definitely getting more organized in how we operate but 
as you say, autonomy, agility, innovation are critical, you know, elements of how we work. And while we are growing bigger, most definitely that that needs to sort of turn on a sixpence and change something up because either it's not working or actually the external landscape has changed as a business, we need to go and do something else. Um, it's very much at the heart of how we operate. And, and I think has been borne out by some of the decisions we've made, you know, to enter into the joint venture with Marks and Spencers to really go after our tech solutions um, strategy. Um, we'll morph again into taking our, our technology into markets beyond grocery, which is going to be another exciting change for us as a business. Um, and if you ask anyone who works at Ocado what it's like, it's very much it. If, if you don't like change, then this is probably not the business for you. So that's absolutely based on our love of, I suppose, agility and just being able to change something up because we need to or it's not working. So very, very important to our culture. Yeah, good. Absolutely. And um, what do you wish that you knew before you started a career in internal comms and comms in general? And uh, do you have any advice for professionals looking to go into the field? I don't know if it's so much about what I wish I knew in that. If you, you know, and I think anyone in communications internal or not is that I come back to this idea of being naturally nosy is definitely a bit of a key skill. But so is that ability to take information and turn it into simple, easy to stand language and just how do you tell a story that makes sense to people. But for me, one of the really important skills is, is that ability to just have really good, strong, honest relationships with people. And I guess my one piece of advice might be is trying not to be afraid to have those difficult conversations. And and know that you might get shot down in flames because you might be the one person in the room maybe sounding a bit negative as to why something may not be a good idea because you've thought about it from how, when you've got to communicate this thing, how is it going to land? And I suppose having a bit of thick skin doesn't hurt along the way. Um, so, but, but being confident in your ability to have strong relationships, which doesn't always mean making friends, but cultivating good relationships with people so that you can become a trusted part of a team that kind of come to you as that sounding board, I think, is something to not be afraid of, but see it as a value add, I think, in any organisation. Uh, what's changed over the, the years, Joe? So obviously you mentioned that the, the go-to used to be no comments. Uh, what, what, what organisationally and culturally has changed uh, both internally and regards to external um, engagement as well, do you think? I think for me, like seeing communications in the round, that you can't just say something internally and expect it to stay there. It will always find its way out. So you've got to have a plan for both internal and external, no matter what angle you're looking at something from. But I also think it's this rise of explaining why something is. It doesn't necessarily change the outcome. We've still got to do something we've got to do, but giving much more weight to 
you know, appreciating that people are not stupid. And if you can explain why something is the case, they might not like it, but they'll understand it and, and, and go along with it. And that um, also giving people an opportunity to ask questions and be willing to answer them. And internally, I think that's where the biggest value has come. You know, even in the eight years that I've been in my business, um, how we've grown that opportunity for two-way conversations you know there's kind of no subject that we you can't ask us about we may not always know the answer but um there are no sort of taboo subjects again that developing that transparency and accessibility to our leaders um you know even thinking about sort of platforms that we use and our ability for leaders just to respond and chat to people in a sort of fairly open forum uh, it's definitely brought that C-suite much closer to the people, whereas yeah. in previous, you know, previous lives that they may have been a bit of a distant set of people that the majority of employees may not have felt entirely connected to. And I think that's been that's been a real shift, you know, change for the better. Mm. Our, our leaders are much more accessible and recognise you know, people actually really want to hear from them and what they say matters to people. And that if if that's used well, can be a really powerful tool. Yeah. Sorry, Aisha, I'm hijacking again uh, before we ask the final question about <laughs> the Simplies, which I know has been on our list of questions for an age. Um, but um, spoiler alert, in a couple of weeks, we're, we're um, launching a Workscape report, Joe. And I believe that the culture at Ocado is probably slightly different to some of the more, let's say, um, old school uh, type of corporations that have maybe been knocking around for a century. So one of the things that most of our internal communicators are saying is a problem is that we have all the channels and we maybe even have all the tech at our disposal, but especially the channels to do it, leaders aren't engaging. Now, some of it might be time, let, let, don't get me wrong, but a lot of it is just kind of, I don't know, fear of the unknown. We haven't gone down to those granular details. But what, what do you do as a communicator to try and, to try and get your, your, your C-suite, your Exco team to, uh, to engage in these channels and feel confident in doing so? Yeah, we've had pockets of that problem ourselves, definitely. Um, and there's definitely of a, you know, win some, you lose some approach. And across our sort of C-suite, we've got to the point now where I would say, you know, let's say four out of six of our leaders are now feeling quite comfortable using our social channels to kind of talk about some things that matter to them. But what I will say is that it's normally developed and prompted by us knowing things that are coming down the line, things that we know we are planning for to communicate about, um, we will we will often prep and let's say cultivate what we think that should be, present it to them, uh, at which point they might tweak it, which I'm pleased because it, it feels like it's representing them and their personality. But they are now at the point where they're really comfortable pressing that button and entering into any conversations or threads that might sort of spin out as a result of that that communication. But it's definitely choreographed through us. Um, we have one or two senior leaders that are very comfortable talking to their own teams, which in themselves are several thousand people, you know, in size. So big parts of our community, um, and they're very 
comfortable and are just doing that off the bat, bat now. Um, others are a little bit, you know, still want that choreography um, and the process that's managed for them. But uh, I would say in the last 12 months, we've really leapt forward in that space, um, which probably if I look back in another 12 months, I'll be surprised at how much, you know, how even more relaxed they are in that space. Um, but we've never, we've never really had a problem with people wanting to talk to our people. Now it's just about have we got the right mechanism that they feel comfortable with literally pressing the buttons on themselves. But, but we're really getting there. Um, and I think they're seeing the benefit of it as well because they, they're actually getting that reaction and they're mm -hmm. seeing it and reading it for themselves. And you know, when they get a, you know, a flood of positive emojis, um you know being fired back at them and saying this is great you know even they get that warm fuzzy feeling which um is is important for them to feel as well so perseverance bit of choreography some positive experiences for them off the back of it are are slowly paving the way for this to become just what they do nice thanks joe Hey, and uh, finally, so you're going to be a judge at the uh, the Simplies. So uh, can you give our potential entrants some advice? What are you looking for? Well, firstly, I'm delighted to have been asked and I'm very excited about it. Celebrating success is something we all say we must do more of and inevitably don't do enough of. So it's great to have this platform on which to do it you know i feel like i'm saying this to myself as much as anyone else take the time to apply and put forward your what you know what you hope you're winning people ideas projects campaigns because it does take time um to kind of pitch yourself forward but we should so much share share and celebrate each other's success and you know one of the things i've always loved about simply it are the case studies the how did we do something and how can i learn you know to do that in my own organization and i just think the simplies will be you know the best of the best of how people have achieved success in their role so don't delay get the application in um because yeah it's only when you're in this job that you realize what a challenge it is and how frustrating it is and you go around in circles sometimes so you know to be able to share those challenges and some failures and some successes with each other means you've got an audience that really gets it um and will you know go on that journey with you so yeah it's exciting oh, fab thank you joe and thanks for your time uh, on our podcast it's uh, it's been great to chat to you again and um we look forward to uh, seeing you on the judging day uh, well, thank you for having me and I can't wait to see everyone at the Simplies.